Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. John, the 10th chapter, and you'll also find that in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in God's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Abba has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of Yahweh's hand. God and I are one. Here ends our reading. One of the good fortunes of continuing to live down the hill from the seminary is that I am able to attend lecture series on occasion. In the past two weekends, they have held seminars where scholars from around the world have gathered to give papers. Their conversations have been swirling in my mind, of course, as I've been preparing for this this morning. Our gospel reading comes from the book of John. This is the gospel, as was noted by one of the scholars, that has what seems to be the most anti-Jewish sentiment. There are different ways of dealing with anti-Semitic remarks within the Bible. You can deny its existence, saying interpreters have gotten it wrong and twisted the writer's intent to serve their own purposes. You can sidestep addressing it at all. You can celebrate it. Or you can face it and discuss it. I have so far been more practiced in the first option, saving the text from itself, finding creative ways to show how the problems we have learned to see in the texts aren't really there once we understand the context. (laughs) Hearing the scholar at the seminar seminar speak bluntly of the anti-Semitism and have the rest of the scholars respond in agreement was a bit of a shock for me. Our gospel reading from this morning, if I am honest, could be such a text that has anti-Jewish sentiment. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I have told you, and you do not believe. You do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. You do not belong to my sheep. Without excusing them, one scholar went on to gently explain, it would have made sense for the Christian Jews to want to distance themselves from the common Jews of the time. Every time the Jews got in trouble with the Romans, the Christians were held accountable by association. So they would have tried to make it clear they are different from the Jews, that the Jews do not belong to Jesus' flock. 
We are very good at judging people, at becoming angry at the inexcusable behavior of others. With the comments of the scholars, somehow, I didn't need to judge the Johannan community for failing me in their concern for their brothers. I could see the mistake that echoed throughout time and feel their humanity. Reinhard Falkenberg, a professor out of NYU Abu Dhabi, is an art historian who is more interested in the processes people engage in when responding to art than in the details of history. He gave a paper this weekend looking at a series of five paintings depicting the seasons by Peter Bruegel, a, a Dutch artist of the 16th century. Within the paintings, there are figures, people, engaging in various activities. In the summer, making hay and picking apples. In the fall, returning the herd. In the winter, going out on a hunt. In the figure's activity, they are missing details in the periphery that tell of the divine story. They miss the manger scene in the corner. They miss a sign dangling. One side is broken, the other is is still hanging on, swaying above them, reminding them to have Christ in their hearts. They miss the crucifixion scene at Golgotha on the mountains in the distance. They miss the jug holding the water turned into wine. And the question arises, what is the painter trying to communicate? Is it a judgment against those people? the figures in the painting who miss God in their midst? As a viewer, it is very difficult to see these details, even having been removed from the scene. The depiction of the crucifixion is so small, it only comes into view by really searching for it with your nose pressed against the painting or through electronic enhancement searching each section until you can find it enlarged. And even though the manger scene is in the front corner of one of the paintings, and even with somebody like Falkenberg pointing it out, the eye is not interested in remaining there. It wants to skip over it and get back to the activity of the people across the page. Just as the people in the painting might be missing God in the details, the viewer does as well. Is it a judgment against both groups? I like to think the point might be to come to a realization in the experience, in the searching and in the passively viewing, that we, in life and in observing images of life, that we do miss the details. That it can be difficult to recognize God or signifiers of the divine in our midst an acknowledgement that needs no judgment and that leaves us with compassion. We are so skilled at looking for where judgment belongs and it can take a long time to realize that judgment might not be the game. When reading our text from John, there's a temptation, I think, to look down on those people who miss the divine in their midst, we get to say, look how ridiculous they were missing who Jesus was. 
And then comes the divided self. Each time I try to separate myself from the adults who didn't get it, I make secret my own internal confusion. And fear and shame grow. As the readers, able to read the whole story over and over again, we are supposed to get it, but we don't. When we go back to the details of the story, even those followers playing the role of his sheep didn't get it. They were confused, unable to see. And sheep don't intellectually get it that way to begin with. (laughs) They grow to know a shepherd over time. They don't listen to a shepherd say to them, I'm your shepherd, and they get it. They grow to trust the shepherd. They grow to see the shepherd will protect them and lead them to clear waters. They grow to be able to recognize his voice. There is gentleness with the sheep. There isn't the same fostering of judgment. We can be so hard on ourselves, so trite, so tight, trying to be obedient to how we think we are supposed to be, and sometimes think we are supposed to have it all figured out even before we begin. Obedient. The root of that word obedient is to hear. As disappointing as it is, I don't always hear perfectly from the beginning. I don't always recognize the voice of the shepherd guiding me. That is part of the learning. As we live with a painting, as we live with a story, as we even just live, the details unfold and new insights, understandings, and compassion finds us. If you live long enough, as the great pastor and artist Tony Bennett reminds us, life will teach you how to live. If you live long enough, life will teach you how to live. We don't have it all figured out. I recently heard a story about a man, we'll call him Stuart, and his friend. Stuart was very clear that everyone ought to be obedient to the rules, and people weren't. Life, he was convinced, would be well when everyone followed his concept of what made a good life. And by the way, it wasn't a concept of life that was, it was a concept of life that was error-free. There wasn't room for people to have flaws or make mistakes but people weren't living up to what he thought they should. There was something he could find in everyone in his life that he hated. And that disgust festered in him. Eventually, he decided the common denominator to there being a problem with everyone else was himself. That maybe he was the one who needed to do some work. He shifted from thinking the problem, the judgment, was against everyone else in the world to it being a judgment against himself. And so he spent a great deal of time facing himself. 
But recently, he changed his view again. A friend of his came to him and told him, I have a problem. I have a family with a wife and four kids who I adore. But I have fallen in love with a man. Stuart, reflecting on the experience of being the listener, began speaking with a sense of joy as he realized he could come alongside his friend with an open and accepting heart as his friend works through what decisions he makes in his life. He said, I could never have done that if I were to follow society's normal judgments about marriage. This is something that could happen to anybody and I didn't need to have judgment. Now, he said, I don't need to blame everyone else for being messed up. I don't need to blame myself for being messed up. All of us live with what is messy. The more I can let life be what it is, I can be in life with everybody in this mess. I can grow because I can be gentle with myself. I can grow because I can be gentle with my friends. At the close of Falkenberg's remarks this weekend, he suggested that we look for interpretations that make dents in paintings. The audience responded with hesitation. Dents? Dents, he said interpretations that allow for depth to continue to unfold. And so with Stuart and Falkenberg and the sheep, our eyes are encouraged to explore the dents as the signifiers of the holy come into focus and drop back into the haze again. We stand with cups overflowing for surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Amen.